the State of Florida Sports Podcast, presented by the USA Today Network. Here's your host, Tim Walters. To say this is a big week is an understatement. The Super Bowl is here. Tom Brady has retired, and this podcast has reached episode number 100. If you've listened to all previous 99 episodes, pat yourselves on the back and know that I love you like family. For those who haven't, what's the matter with you? Don't you like to be more informed than your peers? Now go back through the catalog and listen, but not until after this show, which is going to be a good one. Today, veteran journalist Ira Kaufman of JoeBucksFan.com joins me to talk about Super Bowl 57, the recent retirement of Brady, and what it means for the Buccaneers going forward, plus how he came to be on the Pro Football Hall of Fame Selection Committee, tasked with making the case for Bucks players to go into the Hall of Fame. Hello again, everybody. I'm Tim Walters, and for the 100th time, thank you for joining me on the State of Florida Sports Podcast, powered by the USA Today Network. This podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. Our Florida network consists of 17 news sites that encompass the state. We encourage you to subscribe to your hometown newspaper. And of course, this podcast helps support the incredible journalism done by our talented staffs. Remember, local journalism is important. Without us, crooked politicians would get away with more than they already do. But that's not why we're here. We're here because we love sports and it's Super Bowl week. Joining me is Ira Kaufman who for nearly three decades was an NFL reporter for the Tampa Tribune and now works for a website dedicated to journalism surrounding the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Ira has seen his share of Super Bowls, and he also helps get Bucks players into the Hall of Fame. So let's jump right in with Ira. Ira, welcome and thanks for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure. All righty. Well, let's start here by giving a quick rundown of your Super Bowl expertise you know, you were telling me off air that you've covered somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 of them. So, you know, as a journalist, what's it like covering a Super Bowl? And, and has there been a game that you've seen in person that stood out? Well, it's changed a lot from a media perspective. My first one was uh, the 1980 season. Uh, that was the Eagles and uh, the Raiders uh, with Jim Plunkett. And um, the Raiders won that game. And they also won it a few years later uh, in Tampa. Uh, against Washington. Back then, media access uh, was fairly uh, extensive. Uh, you know, you, you had your uh, media day, usually on a Tuesday, um, and then you had your press conferences the rest of the week, and it wasn't an overwhelming uh, amount of media. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, five or six years ago, I walked into the media room and I realized, boy, I don't know anybody here. Uh, a lot of people from uh, my day have retired uh, or they've moved on to, to other jobs. And um, the mass of media is crushing now during Super Bowl week. Uh, you'll see it in Glendale uh, this year. And uh, most of it, most of it is uh, social media. That's been the big change. Uh, newspapers, as everybody knows, um, is a struggling industry. A lot of them have gone by the way. Uh, and of course, uh, I'm proof of that because uh, my Tampa Tribune folded in, in 2016. They went out of business. Um, and uh, the Tampa market is now served uh, by one paper and it only prints two days a week. So, 
you know, that's an example of what's going on in the newspaper industry. And Super Bowl week used to be dominated uh, by the newspaper reporters. And now it, it is not uh, papers that don't have a team directly involved in the Super Bowl usually don't send their reporters. It's too expensive. Um, and they're trying to keep, uh, you know, a real track on uh, every dollar that's spent. Uh, so there's been very big changes in terms of the media coverage of the Super Bowl. And I really don't think it's been for the better. That's for other people to decide. Uh, but it seems like they give a they give a credential to almost anybody these days. Uh, whereas in the years past, you had to really be from a credible uh, organization. Yeah, yeah. I was, you know, I, I'm the sports editor up for the Times Union in Jacksonville, and I was hoping that the Jaguars could have maybe maybe made it so I'd get my trip out there. But you're right, we don't get to go out there if our teams aren't in it. So that was a shame there. But you know, looking at this Super Bowl here, you know, we've got the Eagles, we've got the Chiefs. One and a half point favorites for the Eagles. Do you look at that team and see them as kind of the you know the favorite to win this, or or can you bet against Mahomes, who's kind of one of those you know all time great mystiques? How do you see this one going? Well, you know, you're talking to an old Chiefs fan. I mean, uh, I go back to the uh, American Football League days uh, of the mid '60s, Len Dawson and uh, Otis Taylor and uh, Buck Buchanan and Bobby Bell and those guys. So I follow the Chiefs very closely. Um, they got their work cut out uh, on Sunday. I mean, the Eagles, until Hurts got hurt, were the best team in football. Uh, they had lost only one game, and I believe that was to Washington. It was an upset. Um, and they're loaded. I mean, what's great about the Eagles is they, they're strong in the trenches. It's where most games are won and lost. Their offensive line, I think, is the best in football. Their D-line is top three right there with the 49ers, maybe. Uh, and maybe one other team. So they're very strong at the line of scrimmage. Uh, ferocious pass rush uh, without blitzing, which is a big uh, plus when you're going against Patrick Mahomes, who usually kills the blitz. And he, maybe the Eagles don't have to blitz Mahomes and they can drop seven. That's a big advantage. Having said that, you got to give Kansas City the edge, uh, perhaps by uh, a, a, a wide margin at the game's most important position. Mahomes stands alone. You know, look, is he going to win seven Super Bowls and be in 10 like Tom Brady? Probably not. Probably not. But, you know, this is already number three for Mahomes. He's won one. He's lost one. Uh, the one he lost was here in Tampa uh, against the Bucks, And he was injured. He had a bad toe. And people say, well, that's not a big deal. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. He couldn't move very well, and the Bucks overwhelmed him with the pass rush, and the Chiefs ended up scoring nine points. Now he comes into Sunday's game with a with a bad ankle. Now nobody thought that he could do what he did against Cincinnati, which doesn't have a bad defense. He threw for over three hundred yards, but the fact that I don't think he can escape the pocket like he normally does, I, I think that's a big plus for Philly. Uh, but the Chiefs have been very strong. They lost three games this year. I believe they're all they're all by three points, three points, four points. They're in every game. They score a lot of points. And um, I think it's going to be a, a really good game. Uh, if I had to pick, I'd probably pick Philly. But uh, Mahomes could be the difference. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's always hard to bet against those guys, like I said, with that all-time great budding mystique like Mahomes. But I think I agree with you that the Eagles are just, you know, they just look like they're rolling right now. But you never know. That's why they play the games. And, uh, you know, when we look back at your personal Super Bowl history, you were mentioning that, you know, your your first one was in 1980. Well, there have been several in Tampa over the years. So, uh, you know, have you seen all of them? The one in 1991 with the Giants or, you know, the one in 2001 where the Giants lose to the Ravens. You know, uh, have you been, at, you know, pretty much at all of the ones that have taken place there in Tampa Bay? The first one was very important uh, to me personally, which was uh, that uh, game in January of uh, 84, Raiders. Uh, Redskins, um, Redskins were loaded. They led the league and, uh, I think they set a record for most points scored that year. Um, most people thought they would win the game and the Raiders, uh, trounced them in in Tampa. Now that game was critical for my future. Uh, I was working for UPI at that time in New York. So I spent the week in Tampa and that was the first Super Bowl in Tampa. And my wife and I came down here. and at that time, the NFL, they allowed you to uh, take out cars, you know, for free. Uh, all you had to do was sign for it. So the night before, it was Saturday night, and uh, we took out a car. We didn't know much about the Tampa area. We had been there uh, five days, and uh, we decided to go uh, on, on a beach drive uh, across a bridge. And we got about one mile over this eight-mile bridge and, and ran out of gas. We ran out of gas. Now, I, I didn't check. I didn't check the meter. And the person that turned in the car before me uh, didn't bother to tell anybody that it was down to, uh, you know, maybe a gallon. And here we are in a strange town on a Saturday night. Um, and I'm stuck uh, over a bridge. And like within 10 minutes, some guy in a pickup truck came by. He said, what's the problem? I said, I got no gas. He said, well, there's a gas station uh, seven miles up over the bridge. Uh, I'll take you there and we'll fill a, uh, a, a tank and, uh, and and I'll bring it back and we'll get it in the car. I said, you would do that? He said, yeah, hop in. So we did and, and he did everything he said. And, you know, I gave the guy 20 bucks. He didn't even want to take it at the end. And we went on our merry way. And I said, to, when he left, I told my wife, you know, we're not in New York anymore. We're not in New York. That, that, that's not going to happen uh, in, in Brooklyn. And she agreed. And the more we thought about it, we said, hey, you know, we might want to live down there. We might want a, a little change. And we were thinking about starting a family. And that whole year, 1984, I tried to get transferred to Tampa. We only had one sports writer in the whole state of Florida. He was in Miami. Uh, and then finally, you know, in January of 85, uh, the transfer went through. And, and we've been here ever since in the Tampa area. Uh, 1990 was a big Super Bowl for me because uh, that was uh, the Giants and the Bills. And that was just about the time I left UPI and joined the Tampa Tribune. And it was my first story for the Tribune was covering that Super Bowl in Tampa. That was the wide right, Scott Norwood, with the field goal that could have won it for Buffalo. Uh, and the Giants ended up winning that game. And then in 2000, uh, the Ravens trounced the Giants with one of the great defenses uh, of the modern era. Um, that was such a good defense. They won that Super Bowl with Trent Dilfer. You don't <laughs> need they know any more than that. Uh, 
And then came uh, 2008, uh, which was one of the all-time great Super Bowls. Uh, Pittsburgh and Arizona with Kurt Warner, Larry Fitzgerald. And that was the game that ended with that unbelievable pass in the right corner. I could just see it right now from Roethlisberger to uh, Santonio Holmes. Way into the, the, the very reaches of the back corner. Um, he had no room. It was a perfect pass, perfect catch. And uh, that lifted the Steelers to victory. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the Buck victory over the Chiefs uh, in a rout. Uh, in the COVID Super Bowl, uh, which was a very strange one. So, you know, will Tampa get another one? Yeah, down the line, Tampa will get another one. The league loves uh, Tampa as the Super Bowl site. They got to wait their turn. I mean, there's so many cities that you're competing with. The Miamis, the New Orleanses, Houston wants it. Maybe New York wants another one. Uh, L.A., of course, is a big competitor. So it'll it'll happen. But uh, I'm very thankful for the Super Bowls that have uh, happened in Tampa, and they've been some of the more memorable games. Yeah, and let's definitely try and keep it down here in the nice warmth of Florida, whether it be Tampa or Miami, or maybe bring one back to Jacksonville. We'd love that up in Jacksonville. Hey, I, even, uh, I even went to that Jacksonville game. And uh, you know what? That was a pretty good game. Everybody thought uh, New England would, uh, would, would wax uh, Philly, and, and it didn't happen. Um, and that was a game that the Eagles were in it uh, right till the very end. I thought Jacksonville uh, volunteers and officials, I thought they did a great job that week. Yeah, and you know, I have a feeling that it'll probably be after they pour the nearly $1 billion into that stadium later in the decade to fix it. I'd be willing to bet then you're going to see a, a Super Bowl come back to Jacksonville. That's what it's all about. What kind of stadium do you have? How many hotels do you have? Um, but you're right. Stadium is, is number one for these owners. Yeah, certainly. Well, that's really cool. You went through the whole list of all of them in Tampa, but there was one Super Bowl dealing with Tampa that uh, did not make that list there because it wasn't in Tampa, but it was one that took place in San Diego. I imagine you were there for the Buccaneers' first Super Bowl victory way back in, what was that, 2003? Uh, 2002 season. Yeah, game was 2003. That was the day. Those were the days when newspapers were printing money. They had a lot of money, including the Tampa Tribune. Uh, we sent 25 people to San Diego. Yes, we did. Wow. Uh, writers, editors, photographers, uh, you know, everybody, culture people. Uh, and we were there the whole week. And I can remember getting back from Philadelphia on a Sunday night, going home, packing a fresh bag and leaving uh, Monday uh, afternoon uh, for San Diego. Uh, boy, what a Super Bowl if you were a Buck fan. My wife demanded a ticket for her and uh, our son, and I ended up buying two tickets. Uh, and I think back then it was about $500 each, which was a lot of money in 2003. But uh, $500 now uh, may not get you a parking spot in <laughs> Glendale. Uh, so they sat with uh, all the Buck fans and had a fantastic time. And, uh, of course, I was there all week. Uh, it was busy. It was very busy. And, um, you know, I had incorrectly picked the Eagles to beat the Bucks in the NFC title game. And most people picked Philadelphia. It was the last game at Veterans Stadium. And Philly kind of had Tampa's number uh, in the postseason. Uh, knocked them out the previous two years. So I picked Philly. And... Uh, when the Bucks won that game, when Rondé Barber returned that 
interception to clinch the uh, 27-10 win. I remember going into the Buck locker room, and there's Derek Brooks, Warren Sapp, Rondé Barber, John Lynch. They're all waiting for me. And I walked in, and they said, here he is. Even uh, even our hometown paper does, doesn't believe in us. Here's the guy that picked the Eagles. And uh, I just felt terrible. And I made sure uh, that I picked the Bucks to beat the Raiders. Uh, but somehow, someway in the paper, it showed up that I picked the Raiders. So after that game, the same four guys were waiting for me in the locker room. It was uh, it was it was tough going for me uh, those those two particular games. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? One of the subjects we'll talk about in a minute about how you uh, help Bucks get into the Hall of Fame. So you know, I'm sure Sap and uh, and Derek Brooks maybe they had nicer things to say, but we'll get to that in a minute. You know, but before we end the Super Bowl talk, uh, you know, one obvious in the. Uh, the one two years ago in Tampa Bay, you know, Tom Brady taking home a Super Bowl for for the Buccaneers and then announcing his retirement last week. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. You know, when was the last time you had the energy, uh, the the chance to interview or talk to Tom Brady? And uh, where do the Bucks go from here? Do we see a Kyle Trask era begin? Do they try and sign one of these free agents that's out there? What what do you see and what are your thoughts on Brady? Well, it's one of the biggest questions this franchise has ever faced. Um, and to me, if the Bucks would have had a, a good season and made a playoff run and then Brady retired, that's, uh, that changes the whole uh, you know, situation. Then, you know, you got a veteran team that's still got good players, and maybe you go get a Derek Carr, a Garoppolo, maybe even make a run at Aaron Rodgers as a fill-in for a year or two. But the fact the fact you went eight and ten with Tom Brady, you aren't competitive in the playoff game. That has to tell ownership, you know, this is no longer a championship roster. I mean, if you're really being brutally honest with yourself, it's an old roster. They're slow. They uh, got salary cap issues, big ones, and um, I think they have to retrench. And if that means starting Kyle Trask, who's probably not the guy but you don't really know it until you give them a chance. Uh, I think that's what they got to do. I think they got to go with Trask, maybe sign Andy Dalton to back him up, but start Trask. Don't start Dalton. And if you go 4-13, and 13, you know, and no Buck fan wants to think about that, and, and no Buck owner wants to think about it, because the stands will be empty by the middle of the season, and I understand that. It's a business. But if you go four and thirteen, now you're in prime position to go get your quarterback in, in the twenty twenty four draft, which I think is going to be a good draft for quarterbacks, better than this one. Of course, led by that Caleb Williams guy at a Southern Cal. I think that's what you gotta do. Um, you gotta bite the bullet. You gotta be honest with yourself. And hey, suppose Trask does a, a good job. And suppose you win ten games with Kyle Trask. Well, He's still on a rookie contract. You know, you're still in good shape then. And they've never had that young guy. They've never had Joe Burrow. They've never had Mahomes. They've never had Josh Allen. They've never had that guy. They tried with Testaverde. They tried with Dilfer. They tried with Doug Williams. They tried with Jameis Winston. It, it, it just hasn't worked out for one reason or another. And really... You, you got to have one of those guys if you're gonna if you're gonna be really good for ten years. 
you got to have one of those guys. The Bengals are going to be good for 10 years. The Chiefs, same thing. The Bills, the same thing. The Bucks have never had one of those guys. Give yourself a chance to get a franchise quarterback, and then you're in business because they're on rookie contracts for three or four years, and you can fill in with players. You know, and, and I think they got to stop kicking the can down the road. We'll see what they do. Maybe they don't want to even think about the, you know, facing a four and thirteen season. But I think you got to go long range here. That's what I would do. Oh yeah, there's a lot there in what you said. You know, in the NFC South, you might be three and seven, and you're still in it, even with Kyle Trask. There's that. You know, Trask. No one really thought he was going to be the answer at Florida. And then he comes in and lights up the scoreboard. So, again, when you've got Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and some of those guys, you, you never know what type of damage Trask can do in that offense. So you're right. I think you've got to give him that chance and see what happens there. And then, uh, you know, again, you're never out of it in that NFC South. So You're making a good point about the division. So if you take the division into consideration, you know, they don't have any quarterbacks. Everybody's looking. New Orleans looking. Carolina, Atlanta. And if, if you if you take that into consideration, you know, ownership might say, hey, if we get Derek Carr, we'll be favored to win the NFC South. We'll make the playoffs. You never know what happens once you get in. They they might think that way, but I think they're fooling themselves. First of all, the NFC South is not going to be that bad uh, for that long. Things change. Remember, used to people used to say the NFC East, awful. Well, now they're not saying that. Giants are pretty good. Dallas is good. Philly's very good. And Washington's not terrible. They were 500. So things change. Right now, the NFC South looks wretched. Uh, I hope that doesn't color uh, the Bucks thinking. I, I think they need to go long range. Yeah, and if you do Trask next year, and like you say, draft your quarterback the next year, you're keeping you know smaller salaries at the quarterback position, and they need to get younger on defense. I mean, that's one thing that uh, you know was fairly obvious this season. And you know, you mentioned about not never having that quarterback. This is kind of a funny stat, but Tom Brady in three years in Tampa Bay rose to being the third all-time passing yards leader in Buccaneers history. Just three years. <laughs> Uh, that tells you all you need to know. And by the way, when I was listing uh, all the quarterbacks, now, of course, this guy's a, a notch below, but he's coming on, uh, is Trevor Lawrence. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Trevor Lawrence. And I think he gives Jacksonville uh, a puncher's chance in, in every game. Uh, second half of the season, he, he was really good, really good. And, you know, is he Joe Burrow? Not yet. Will he be? We don't know. But... He's one of the better young quarterbacks in football, and the Bucs don't have anybody, anybody close to Trevor Lawrence. Now, I had the pleasure of watching him this season, and I saw that light switch turn on. I think it came after that embarrassing Denver loss in London, and something just turned on in him. And he, I think he remembered what his pedigree was, how good he was, and what he should be doing. And he got his mind right, and you're right, it, it was something to watch. So hopefully for Buccaneers fans, they'll be able to see that happen and maybe develop their next Hall of Famer, which is what I'm going to talk to you about now, Ira is that for the past 18 or so years, you have been the journalist that helps make the case to get Buccaneers into the Hall of Fame. So, you know, uh, tell us about, number one, how do you become that journalist that gets to do that? Number two, what's it like having that responsibility? Well, it was 2005, and uh, I was the NFL writer for the Tribune and the backup Bucks writer and the NFL writer, and I'd go to the Super Bowl every year. 
and the late, great Tom McEwen, the legend at the Tampa Tribune. Uh, you know, he was close to retirement, and he wasn't going to the Super Bowls anymore. And at that time, the Hall of Fame meeting was the day before the Super Bowl. It was on that Saturday. In the Super Bowl city. You had to travel to the Super Bowl city. And uh, there were about 40 voters at that time. Now there's 49. So McEwen wasn't going to travel anymore. And he was getting off the board. And he recommended me to replace him. Because, you know, McEwen was all about the Tampa Tribune. You know, uh, and he he bled Tampa Tribune. And he talked the board of directors of the hall uh, into picking me as his replacement. Uh, I was honored uh, to get, uh, you know, it, it, it's a prestigious slot. Um, so I started in 05. I think Detroit was the city that we were in uh, that year. Um, and I didn't have anybody to present for six years. Uh, and by the way, my first year, a couple of weeks before I traveled to Detroit, I went into McEwen's office. Hey, Tom, you got any advice for me, you know, in that room? He goes, yeah, Ira. You're a rookie. Keep your mouth shut. Don't say a <laughs> word. Don't say a blessed word. Now, you don't know me, but you know me already uh, through this uh, podcast. That's not easy for me. I'm, I'm a, I'm a gab. Uh, but I took McEwen's advice. I didn't say a word. And then I didn't make my first presentation until 2011. It was a, a man named Ed Sable. He, he was the creator of NFL Films. And for a few years before that, I was, you know, just talking to some of the voters. Hey, how come, how come we're not talking about Ed Sable as a contributor? I mean, NFL Films was huge in the, in the popularity of the NFL and growing it, and, you know, into the national, surpassing baseball as the national sport. And then in 2011, you know, Ed Sable got on the ballot and they said, okay, Ira, you're going to make the presentation. Um, I had never met Ed Sable, but I certainly was very familiar with NFL films and its impact. Um, he was 95 years old. There was a lot of pressure because I figured this is his one chance. He has one chance. Um, and he got in. And it, it was a very emotional moment for me. The next day, I think the game was in Dallas at Jerry's World. I think it had just opened a year before that stadium. And, uh, I got off the elevator for the Super Bowl. Uh, it was about three o'clock. And the first guy I saw there was uh, Steve Sable. He didn't really know me, but the guy he was talking to pointed me out and said, that's the guy who made the made the speech for your father. And Steve Sable walked up to me, tears in his eyes, gave me the longest hu- hug you can imagine. Thank you, thank you for my entire family. Um, Ed Sable was too uh, weak to make the trip. He didn't come to Dallas, but Steve Sable was there. And that, that was my first really example of, of how much, you know, this honor means to the player, the contributor, their family, getting that gold jacket. I never forgot that. Two years later, Warren Sapp was on the ballot for the first time, uh, made the speech for Sapp. The next year, Derek Brooks, 2014 in New York. A couple of years later, Tony Dungy as a coach. 2016. Uh, and then that started the John Lynch era. Now, I had a lot of early success. You know, Dungy took three years. Sapp got in right away. Brooks got in right away. So I was feeling, you know, very confident uh, about making these speeches. And then I ran into this roadblock with John Lynch, 
who didn't have big statistics. The room started getting a little younger. You know, newspaper guys started dropping out, retiring, uh, replaced by, you know, guys in their mid-30s. Never saw John Lynch play. And I was trying to, you know, sell John Lynch without statistics. Not easy unless you saw him play. It took eight years to get John Lynch. Every year, different speech. Talk to different people about John Lynch. Quote different people. Change the emphasis of the speech. Eight years, Buck fans screaming at me. Ira, let somebody else do it. You're not getting the job done. You don't know what you're doing. Um, And then finally, Lynch got in. Special moment. And now Rondé Barber. This is year three for Rondé Barber. Uh, It's going to be announced later this week at NFL Honors. We'll see what happens. Uh, I'm optimistic. Uh, And that's uh, really my last one uh, for the Bucs for, uh, I think, for quite a while. That's going to be the last one. Uh, so, uh, we'll see what happens with Ronnie Barber, but, uh, look, it's a privilege to be on that panel, but when you're presenting somebody, uh, it's, it's a lot of pressure too. That's such a cool story. Everybody knows NFL films and, you know, the famous voice of narration that makes NFL, you know, such a romanticized thing. And that's really cool about John Lynch. I was actually going to ask you about that, but you took care of that without me even needing to jump in there, the perseverance on that. And I imagine, um, you know, the, the next one, uh, the next Buccaneer is going to be Mike Evans, unless there's somebody that I'm forgetting in between there. You're probably right. Uh, Buck fans are looking at Simeon Rice. Now, Simeon Rice, he was a heck of a pass rusher. He came off the uh, blind side. He was famous for the, the strip sack. He was really good at it. Uh, mediocre against the run, not necessarily a complete defensive end. But uh, he terrorized a a lot of left tackles. Uh, Finished with about 120 sacks. Um, He's only made the semifinalist. That's 25 people. He's only made that once. And then uh, when they cut that to the 15 finalists, he didn't make it. There's a chance Rice could come back and maybe get in that room for the first time. We'll see. But you're right. Uh, Probably the next one is Mike. Now, look, you got to be retired five years. Mike Evans is probably going to play another five years. So you're looking 10 years down the road. If you and I are having this conversation in 10 years and I'm still on that board, I'll, I'll be, I'll be very happy. Well, there you go. And I hope I'm still doing this podcast and employed by Gannett in 10 years. So that will make two of us. <laughs> That's right. All righty. Well, I got one more kind of zany question here for you because last year I wrote about this kid in Florida. He's uh, in Palm Bay, Florida, and he had this uh, change.org petition to get the Super Bowl moved from Sunday to Saturday. And after I wrote about it, it exploded. He was on national shows. Next thing you know, the the petition had like 125,000 signatures. Now it's up to 150,000. Well, that was one idea. Then in Tennessee last week, two congressmen have proposed to make the Monday after the Super Bowl a holiday. But to do so, you would have to eliminate one of the state's already existing holidays. So they want to get rid of Columbus Day and make the Monday after the Super Bowl a holiday. So do you like either moving the Super Bowl back to a Saturday or trying to get a holiday on the Monday after the game? Well, Super Bowl Sunday is such a tradition. Uh, and the NFL is big on tradition. I, I don't think they would even think about it. Uh, although I don't think it's a terrible idea. I don't see it happening. Very interesting, this Monday holiday, because you know what? Nobody goes to work on Monday after the Super Bowl. Uh, 
You know, the uh, the dropout rate's like 60%. Uh, nobody's manning the phones. Nobody's, uh, nobody's opening the doors. Uh, nobody's in the restaurants. Uh, so it, it's almost like a national holiday without declaring it. Uh, that's interesting. I could do it on Columbus Day. I'll, uh, I, I, I think I'd put my name on that petition, but uh, Super Bowl <laughs> Sunday, no, that one's got to stay. All right, so we'll, we'll fight to get that done. Maybe Governor Ron DeSantis will hear what's going on in Tennessee and join that bandwagon because Columbus Day, it's a random Monday in October. You know, maybe banks get it off. I don't know. But what I researched was over $4 billion of lost productivity is on the Monday following the Super Bowl. So that's just got to stop. <laughs> All right. Well, Ira, is there anything else you'd like to get in front of our audience? And, uh, you know, what are you up to these days? Where can people find your work? Where can they follow you on social media? Just kind of fill us in with everything there. Well, since the crib uh, went out of business in May of 2016, and 200 people lost their jobs, you know, in, in one minute. Uh, it, it was a terrible day uh, in Tampa. Um, and since then, uh, I've switched jobs to uh, a website called Joe Bucks Fan. Um, and uh, it's not affiliated with the team. Uh, so it's not uh, a Homer site uh, where we never criticize the team. No, we pride ourselves on uh, trying to be uh, as objective as possible when they deserved to be slapped around and when they were in the midst of a 12 year playoff drought uh, until uh, Mr. Brady arrived in 2020, uh, we were killing the bucks. We were killing management. We were killing ownership. Um, and we try to speak for the voice of the fan. Uh, there hasn't been much to criticize, uh, in 2020 and 2021, uh, this year, eight and 10. And of course we're all about what the direction of the bucks should be. You know my voice. Uh, I've been very clear about it uh, on this podcast. But it's uh, Joe Buck's fan, two podcasts a week, two or three columns a week, uh, personal appearances at uh, at a sports bar called Big Storm. So, um, I, you know, I'm doing more now than I, than I ever did uh, when I was at the newspaper. Uh, I've got a podcast uh, of my own with um, Clark Judge, another Hall of Fame voter called uh, – I test for two. Uh, it's very Hall of Fame centric. We have good guests on. We just had Doug Williams on the other day talking about uh, two black quarterbacks starting the Super Bowl for the first time. So I'm keeping busy. Uh, my wife wants me to retire. Uh, we shall see. But, uh, you know, uh, I've done a lot more in my rear view mirror than I'm going to be doing uh, straight ahead. I, I know that. Uh, I'm no spring chicken. But, uh, you know what? I'm still enjoying what I'm doing, and uh, I'm going to keep doing it until uh, that day uh, ends. Very good. And you're, you're right. If you can keep doing what you love, you may as well do it you know, as long as you can. And make sure you spell that website for us so people don't get it confused with the other Joe Buck. J-O-E-B-U-C-S-F-A-N. All one word. And uh, you can see my uh, work on there. And uh and uh, it'll lead you to uh, the podcast also. All right. Do you have a social media or Twitter handle? A lot of people use Twitter to find their sports. And, you know, I know they'll find not just Buck stuff there. They'll probably find some Bruce Springsteen stuff there, right? Uh, they will. They will. Uh, I, you know, I, I sometimes I, uh, I talk about, uh, you know, great uh, musicians from the 60s. And if I mention uh, John Fogarty, I, I know uh, I get 47 tweets saying, John, who? who? Who is it? And, you know, that's a shame. 
I mean, the you know, rock and roll didn't start in, in 1989. It did not. So, uh, you know, whether it's uh, the Allman Brothers, uh, Bob Seger, uh, what, what, you know, the Birds, whatever you want to talk about, Stones and the Beatles, of course. Uh, rock didn't come out of nowhere. I want our young listeners to, to realize that. Go back uh, and see the roots of, of, of some of these bands and musicians, and you'd be a little surprised. So uh, I'm on Twitter, I Kaufman, K-A-U-F-M-A-N, I Kaufman 76. That's where you can find me. All righty, perfect. And yes, people, if you don't know Creedence Clearwater Revival, go look them up, please. You know, there's a problem there, too, if you don't know some of that music that Ira was just talking to. So, Ira, again, I really do appreciate you being on here. And hey, I look forward to talking to you soon, and hopefully the Bucks are going to start making some moves, and I'll have you on again, and we can talk a little Buccaneers maybe as we get closer to the draft. You got it. I enjoyed it, my friend. All righty. Thank you so much. And that will do it for the 100th episode of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. I'm Tim Walters, and to quote the first head coach of the Tampa Bay Bucks, John McKay, a genius is a guy who won last week. We're about to find out who this week's genius is, Andy Reid or Nick Sirianni. Enjoy the Super Bowl, and join us again next week as we talk the Daytona 500. 